Welcome in everyone to another edition of This Week in Hockey here on a Thursday night, the week prior to Christmas. And Joe and I, well, it was a Christmas gift for us because it gives us something to talk about in what has been a dry offseason, although not a good thing to talk about because anytime you see an NHL player's career end, it's never a good thing. And Joe Vitale, let's start with this. First of all, good to talk with you, buddy. Welcome back. Uh, another week of This Week in Hockey. But we got the big news this morning that Alexander Steen is officially announcing his retirement after a little over 1,000 games played in the NHL. Unfortunately, it's not his decision to go into retirement. It's uh, it's Father Time's injury uh, with multiple herniated discs, the Blues said, in Alexander Steen's back and just feeling like he's unable to perform to his level. So uh, he announces his retirement on that final year of a contract with the St. Louis Blues. So, Joe, let's start with just your initial thoughts on finding out Steen's retirement. You know, Alex, it was one of those things where you knew there was some steam news around the corner. And, and why I say that is because I know they were expecting another baby here uh, at some point. And of course, last night, Alex and his wife, Josephine gave birth to a baby boy. And so I believe, or at least I was thinking that that was the news of the day concerning Alexander Steen. And someone told me this morning, how about that Steener news? And I was like, Oh yeah, big congrats. Another baby. That's awesome. Terrific stuff. And they're like, no, no, you didn't hear the actual news. I'm like, what? And then they told me I was, I was equally as surprised as I was not surprised. If that makes any sense, yeah. Alex. I, kn- I know that I know that we were kind of thinking this could be a possibility, based off of how last year went for him and how he was seriously nursing some stuff, and then the bubble, not playing much there, his old age, just kind of where things were. Uh, with one more year on the contract, making over five million dollars, we were kind of thinking, would it be a long-term IR situation? You know, it's it's one of those things where. I, I actually, if you're asking for my reaction, I, I went beyond the man. This sucks. What a huge, what a huge blow for the Blues. I went right past the disappointment, right to let's just celebrate this guy's career. I, I just went right past the, the 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 disappointment into the celebration because of what he has meant to this organization since 08, Alex, and then winning the Stanley Cup uh, for who he is, not only as a player but especially who he is as a person. So right away, I went to the celebration of his career and, and him as a human being and what he's what kind of impact he's made for the St. Louis Blues community. So to me, that was my first reaction. How about you? Yeah, I had the same one, Joe. You know, you never like to see somebody's career forced into retirement. You know, you can personally talk about this because you were forced into retirement uh, with your injury. But for a guy like Alexander Steen, uh, you know, who hit the uh, the top of his hockey career a couple years ago winning the Stanley Cup, you know, this would probably be the lowest point because you have to announce your retirement. But when you go back and look on this guy's career with the St. Louis Blues, I mean, it's pretty impressive. So I went through some of the numbers on this one, Joe. And look, when you look at the career of Alexander Steen in the time he has been a St. Louis Blue from 2008 to 2020, he has been top three, if not number one, in nearly every single category, goals, points, power play, shorthanded goals, overtime goals. He's number one in the Blues franchise from 2008 to 2020. That shows you the impact of Alexander Steen. But then I went deeper into the numbers and went back and looked at 2002 from that draft class. And Joe, Steen played the sixth most games of anybody from that draft in 2002. And that's up there with guys like Rick Nash, Jay Bomeister, Duncan Keith. But then the points and the goal production. This guy was number two in all of those categories ahead 
of a Duncan Keith, a Daniel Briere, a, you know, a, a, a Rick. He was right behind Rick Nash in terms of points. And to say that from a 22nd overall draft pick goes to show you how productive of a career this guy had. He wasn't a superstar. He wasn't an elite player, but he's going to be remembered as one of the more impactful players in Blues franchise history. You know, Alex, I tell you what, it's it's very interesting. It's very interesting what you just say right there because uh, as well as he's had all those, those great years, right, all those great numbers and what a draft class that was and how he has propelled himself to near the top, you, you can't get there games-wise, points-wise, production-wise, without being some sort of a chameleon. You have to be a chameleon at some point. You mentioned Danny Breer. I mean, Danny Breer, he, he went from a first-line guy, first power play unit guy. He played, he ate up third and fourth-line minutes, just like Alexander Steen did. In order to play that many games, in order to hit that 1,000-game threshold, you have to improvise. You have to adjust. You have to be moving on the go. And whatever the coach asks of you, you have to be willing to do. So, so with the point production uh, with the game production with everything he's meant you can't get to that point if you're one dimensional you can't get there if you're just an up and down winger and, and a power play guy you may get five six hundred games if you're lucky if you keep your point production there but you won't go past that and that's what's most impressive about alexander steen's career and what his numbers are that 1000 game threshold to me that shows one thing it, it, you have to have character you got to have the most amazing amount of integrity and character to reach that threshold because no one's going to keep you around if you're a bad teammate. No one's going to keep you around if you're selfish. No one's going to keep you around if all you care about is you. You have to be a team-first guy in order to hit that threshold. And Cena did it, and that's what's most impressive about me. He went from being that second-line t- prototype top six forward back in 16 and 17, a great point guy, top power play guy, a wicked little one-timer on that <laughs> left shot, to when Craig Brubies took over and said, man, listen, we need a fourth-line identity. That's what I need, Adia. What do you say? He said, you got it. And he walked right out of his office. It was very simple, very straightforward. And he grabbed a little Barbashev and a little Oscar Sundquist. And he grabbed those two guys and said, guys, let's go out there and be the best freaking fourth line this 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 league has seen in a long time. And they sure as hell were that, Alex. And that's what led them to the 2019 Stanley Cup championship. But, yeah, the adjustments, being a chameleon, willing to uh, do whatever the coach asks. I mean, that's, to me – pretty much what sums up Alexander Steen's career and why he was able to do so much and produce so much throughout the year. Yeah, it's interesting too, Joe. One more nerd number for you. I uh, So I went back and looked every single player in the NHL history that was selected 22nd overall, which of course was uh, Steener's selection in 2002. He is arguably the most productive player in NHL history that was selected 22nd overall because other guys that are in that conversation, TJ Oshie, who is still going to be an NHL player, and Daniel Briere, who we just talked about. So in NHL history, at least when they're tracking the 22nd overall draft pick, to be the most productive player that comes away in that number is a very impressive feat for Alexander Steen. So, uh, you know, congratulations to Alex and his family because I know they just welcomed their second child. Um, it's never an easy thing to hit retirement, but he's going to go down as one of the more memorable Blues players uh, in franchise history. And, Joe, I'm curious because you've played against this guy multiple times because you, of course, were in the league and Steener when he was playing with the Coyotes, when he was playing – oh, I'm sorry, when he played with the Blues, you were playing with the Penguins and playing with the Coyotes. So give give our listeners some thoughts of of what was life like playing against a guy like Alexander Steen. Oh, 
He was such a jackass. I mean, I, I hated him. I hated playing against this guy. He's one of those guys that when I got the job with the Blues and I was kind of introducing myself, I was always thinking, what is this guy like? He, if if he's half as big of a ass as he was on the ice, I, I'm not going to like him, not even one bit. And it was the complete opposite. He is just the saltest of earth type of people. He's so kind. He's so humble. If I didn't know anything about hockey, Alex, and I walked into that locker room, and I just started talking to different players I, without without thinking about age. I would think that this was Alexander Steen's first year into the league. I mean that that is just how incredibly kind. And you you, you work with him too, Alex. Yeah. So you know this. He's just there's there's no there's no superficial ego that that there's no aura around him that says you know I'm untouchable. Get away from me. Earn your stripes and talk to me. There's nothing about that. But on the ice, he was the opposite. I mean, he was he was miserable. He would stick you. He would claw you. He'd be chirping at the faceoff. He's a guy that would stop in front of the team's bench and start chirping the entire bench, which is a pretty gutsy thing to do. You know, I remember, I think it was my second or maybe third or fourth year in Pittsburgh. And I think Steiner just came off a really good year, maybe a really good extension. And all of a sudden, we were playing uh, St. Louis at home. I think it was my second time back to St. Louis. And Steiner were just mouthing off, mouthing off. And I'll never forget, you know, Sid coming back. Who the F is this Steiner? He he has one good effort in a year, signs a contract, and he's the toughest guy in the league, apparently. He And Steiner did not shut up the entire night. I'll never forget it. And I remember because Tony Granato came down the bench. He's like, hey, we got to do something about the Steiner. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've, I've asked him to fight, but he keeps skating away and he keeps laughing at me or whatever, something like that. But uh, he was he was a Steve Ott secondary man. He was right behind Steve Ott as far as a guy you hated playing against. And I think that I think you can see throughout that 19 playoff run uh, why why the opponents hated him because he would hit you, he would stick you, he'd pop you, he'd give you a little butt in. He had a lot of that old school snarl left in his game, and and people hated playing against him. But I've never seen. Um, a player quite like Steiner, except for Steve Ott, that I hated so much. And a lot of players hated so much. But once they were on their team or got around him a little bit, they, w- they would love him that much more. I mean, it's just – it's amazing um, the difference in the, in the seesaw scale effect of how different these guys are from on the ice, off the ice. But just a true pro through and through. But, man, he was – he was miserable playing against. I hated it. <laughs> I'm sure he loves the fact that uh, he would be in that category with Steve Hopp because, look, as a hockey player, when you can score goals, you could be effective offensively, but you could be effective like that to make Sidney Crosby frustrated. Uh, you're pretty damn good at your uh, your hockey career. Real quick, Joe, before we take a break, and we're going to talk more about Alexander Steen as we move along, but I, I dove into the history of transaction because you know from working with me and Curbs, we love going back and being a hockey nerd. I tweeted this out earlier. Alexander Steen to the Blues essentially came from Tyson Nash because Tyson Nash, who signed with the Blues as a free agent, was traded to Arizona for Lee Stempniak, and Lee Stempniak was traded to Toronto for Carlo Koliakovo and Alexander Steen. So how about that? Tyson Nash turned into Alexander Steen. Boy, this is probably the only and best thing that Tyson Nash has ever done for me <laughs> in my entire career. We bring Alexander Steen to those. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, Tyson's my boy out in Arizona and you know it's amazing seeing how all that tree stuff works and I mean even just think about that Trey I mean listen I played with Lee in Pittsburgh an effective guy he he was a journeyman he got here he stuck around here he played for about every team in the National Hockey League but I think looking back what a what an amazing trade that was you know for uh, for Carlo of course and then to get Steiner I mean even even Steiner for Lee at the time I think would would have still been a win for St. Louis but Boy, talk about three amazing guys all in one trade. I know you know Carlo a little bit, 
Alex Lee Stepniak was an absolute beauty. Yeah. And of course, Steiner. I mean, I don't think you know if they did a if they did a trade where they found the best and the kindest guys of the NHL history. I think that would be in in there for the top five. Steiner and Carl Koliakova and Lee Stepniak. Stepniak. Yeah, that that tripod guy. Th- those guys are. I mean, it's a toss-up between yeah. which which guys. I'll, I'll give Steen a little bit of a nod there, but man, amazing guys that play with all of them. Hard to disagree with that one. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is this week in hockey. Of course, we're talking about Alexander Steen being announced as retired earlier today by the St. Louis Blues. Plenty more reaction to that one, and we'll get into some NHL news in just a bit. We're here with you until seven o'clock tonight, and we'll be back after this here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night along with the radio analyst for the St. Louis Blues, Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario and happy to be with you tonight here on This Week in Hockey. Of course, talking about the biggest news of the day, and that's Alexander Steen uh, announcing his retirement due to multiple herniated discs in his back. And Joe, let's start there because I think that really describes the type of player Alexander Steen was. And the more you think about this, you go back to 2008 when the Blues traded for Alexander Steen. And Doug Armstrong had a great quote today during his press conference who basically talked about how in his time with the Dallas Stars organization, before he came to the Blues, he kind of targeted Alexander Steen and Carlo Koliakovo from Toronto as two guys that would change a franchise if you could trade for him. Armstrong told the story that basically when he was brought over to the Blues, but one working under Larry Plo, Larry Plo told Doug Armstrong, we're going to go acquire one of these guys. And Doug Armstrong said, okay, which one are you going for? And Larry Plo said, we're going to get both of them. And then that turns in to the Alexander Steen acquisition uh, along with Carlo Koliakovo. But to me, that really started the transition from a young group of guys that you remember playing against that was starting from the bottom up to becoming a a cup champion, which 10, 11 years later with the St. Louis Blues. It's amazing that Doug had the foreshadowing or the foresight to see what Alexander Steen would have been. And this is, to me, this is still one of the most difficult jobs in hockey. Are your, your amateur scouts, your pro scouts, your general managers, as far as what is this individual, what is this player going to be? It's very tough when they're 17 and it's draft. And, and in some ways it gets a little easier, but it's still very difficult when you see a little bit of a pro hockey in a player and you see him in the American League, you see him a little bit in the NHL like they saw him in Toronto. But still, the, the, the foreshadowing to say that this is not only a great hockey player, but he's going to be very, very, very good for our team. And I think that's what Doug Armstrong saw, and this is why he got him. And, I mean, this is, this is I feel like general managing 101. You go out and you get that guy. And that guy is the culture guy. And that's what Alexander Steen was. He created a culture that Doug Armstrong was trying to create here in St. Louis. He wanted the St. Louis Blues to be as of the L.A. Kings. They, he wanted a tough, hard-nosed, hard-hitting, hard-forechecking, in-your-face, stick-it-to-the-whistle-blows type of hockey. And he knew that he needed a group, a core. He needed a core of guys. Steiner's in on that. David Backus, he's a guy. He's in on that. Those, those are the two guys, to me, that Doug Armstrong really kind of embodied the, kit, the uh, Ken Hitchcock style of hockey. But Steiner was right there in the middle of it. He led the forwards right through from the very beginning, and he, and he held true to it, almost to the point where his body almost broke back in 2019. And, and Alex, I was on with you and BK today, you know, I think that Steiner took a huge step backwards to start the 2020 year. And I think even before the pause, he wasn't quite himself. 
you know, he mentioned to me sometime throughout that 2020 season without directly saying it to me, but I can kind of speculate based off what we were talking about. I, I think that the 2019 Stanley Cup playoff run, I think it took everything out of Alexander Steen. I, I just don't know what else he had left after that 19 run. You have to think about it. This was a 34-year-old, right? A 34-year-old that starting in December, the coach put you on the fourth line and asked you to, to play a grinding, relentless style of hockey at his age, closing in on 1,000 games, almost an impossible feat. But he did it. He did it for three to four months. The Blues, oh, my God, they make the playoffs, and they just keep going. They started every game. They finished every game. He killed penalties. He blocked shots. He finished every single check, and he played that emotional hockey at his age, right? Now, that is like taking a Ferrari and driving it to the absolute ground for, for you know, 15, 16 years and saying, we got one more race in us, big Betsy. And you hop in that car, and you go, Vroom! and that's what he was. He was an old Betsy Ferrari. <laughs> he had one more race left in him. And that 19 thing, I, I really think that 19 playoffs really shook him to the core. But my God, I mean, that's that to me is regret regretless hockey. I mean, he put his everything on the line, his heart, his soul, his entire body. And that's what playoff hockey is all about. And it was worth it. It was worth it to him. You know, he, he drove his body through the ground, but he did it for a championship. But to me, Alex, at that age, and listen, I'm, I'm 35. And of course, I've been on the game for a few years now, but your body just doesn't work the way it used to. Your hips, your knees, I mean, the, the wear and tear of the, the long road trips and the plane rides and the games and the training camps and the squats and the plyometrics, you just, your body just doesn't want it anymore. You just can't do it anymore. I mean, as much as your mind wants it, your body says no. And I think that that's what he ran into heading into the 2020 year. We all saw the bubble. But, but again, and I, and I say that because I am just so ecstatic that he did what he did for St. Louis, and he put his whole body, mind, and soul into that because without him, without Alexander Steen, we would not have a championship here in St. Louis. Still. Did anybody else just uh, get the song, uh, My mind is telling me no, but my body my, is telling body. me yes? Right? Good tune. Yeah, probably Solid not. Tune. Maybe not so much. And the singing voice is just terrible. Uh, let me ask you this one then, Joe, because I- I'm really curious – the perspective on how the Blues move forward without Steen, because I said this earlier today on BK and Ferrario, that without Steen and now without Alex Petrangelo, you're losing two guys who were very vocal in the locker room that would would tell people or players when things weren't going right and kind of get players back on track. They weren't afraid to share their thoughts but more than anything, they were that old-school hockey mind, right, where they would make sure that guys were going out together, make sure that the team stuck together. You mentioned it, you know, taking on new roles. Not that the Blues don't have leaders, because they do. Shen, Schwartz, O'Reilly, obviously, Tarasenko, Pareko, some of the younger guys as well. But how do the Blues move forward without that old-school, steen, veteran, vocal leadership in the locker room this season? You know, they move on by Alex. They move on by recognizing that they're not that anymore. They're, they're just not. You can't manufacture that. You can't, you can't pretend. Uh, you, can't, you can't have Shen pretend to be that if he's not. Yeah. You can't pretend to have Tarasenko be that if he's not. The reality is you've lost a lot of old-school hockey players. And you know what? You mentioned Petrangelo. You mentioned Steen. And let's not forget Jay Bomeister. Yes. Right? Because he is kind of sometimes a forgotten one, right? But talk about a quiet leader that just calmed everything down and was such a great fatherly figure when he was around and what he meant to this organization. You, you bring up a great point. 
you know, if there's one thing Blues fans should be nervous about this year, I'm not saying it's going to be a problem. I'm just saying that from a from a reality standpoint, the issue this year, if the Blues do not make the playoffs and do not have a good year, if they don't, I think they will. If they don't, I would say you maybe need to look to the fact that there has been a huge leadership hole now that has been, you know, dug into this organization, starting with Alexander Steenier, or excuse me, Alex Petrangelo, your captain, then Alexander Steen, your assistant captain, and Jay Bomey, sir, who was your quiet kind of assistant captain, but he didn't really wear an A because he wasn't a very chatty kind of guy and probably didn't want it. He's probably asked a million times, probably said no. Yeah. So there was a lot of old school leadership guys that the Blues now do not have. Now, the good news is, do they have the personnel to fill those voids? Absolutely. You look at Braden Chen. You look at Ryan O'Reilly. Look at Colton Pareko. My God, Jaden Schwartz, Tyler Bozak even. I mean, there's plenty of guys that are capable of it. But they have to really own that. They have to embrace that role as it as it, as it it is. Now, is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be adjustments? Absolutely. But they have to learn and learn as a team and learn on the road and learn on the go. Uh, but the good news is for those guys that are going to be learning those ropes, um, there's really no lifeboat coming. There's no one else. It comes down to you. But the good news is you have a full locker room full of support. It's not just Ryan O'Reilly and a bunch of guys that are off in La La Land living in Pluto. I mean, you have a very, very second layer um, of, of just amazing, amazing leadership in that room. So I expect for them to really lean on each other because, again, if for some reason it does not go the Blues way this year, yeah, to me the reason why to start right now would be I would imagine it would be um, a, a leadership thing where we have we had too many old school leaders leave all at once or within a year's time and we didn't we didn't really know how to galvanize around that right now but again that's up to the players and it's up to the new roles and like Craig Bruby I talked to him yesterday said there's new roles there's there's new roles there's new opportunities now it's about these guys just going in there and going and grabbing it yeah, well, and that's the intriguing part of this because I do believe that this could bring guys closer together. And look, you still have a player now who has won a Stanley Cup. Obviously, all of them have won Stanley Cups, but uh, Kyle Clifford, who they brought in, brings a little bit of edge and grit. Who can who can talk about that? Tori Krug, who has been on the Boston Bruins' side, and that's just the outside. The interesting thing with this one, Joe, is you don't have any of these long-tenured blues anymore. Like, the longest-tenured blue now would be Schwartz and Tarasenko uh, with this organization now that Steen, who was that wily veteran, as Darren Pang likes to call him, or Alex Petrangelo, who had been there for such a long time, now you look to guys who are younger. And to me, it provides the opportunity of a voice to guys who haven't had it before, right? Like an Oscar Sundquist now has an opportunity to be a lot more vocal in this locker room. A Robert Thomas has an opportunity to be a lot more vocal in this locker room. Justin Falk, Colton Pareko. You can go down the list. If anything, I think that brings a group closer together because more guys feel the opportunity to speak out rather than listen to the veterans. Well, and you know, Alex, it's an interesting point because a lot of times players don't want to talk if it's like, it's like if your dad's always there at pickup and practices, and every time you run into an adult, someone's like, hey, how you guys doing? And your dad says, oh, we're doing good. Just dropping little Alex off at practice. How's your family? Family's good. Merry Christmas. Hey, Mr. Ferrari. Mary. <laughs> you know, it's like as a kid, you're always looking to your dad right. to answer questions because he's your dad, right? Yeah. And he, he, he's the one that's the leader and in control. And, and, and I know it's a small example, but it's, it's no different for a hockey team. Yeah. Like for Robert Thomas. You know, if you're in a locker room and, and things aren't going well and you just lost your fourth straight and it's a players only meeting, 
you're going to literally look to the left and you're going to see Alexander Steen talk. And then maybe Jay Bowmish is going to chime in. And then here comes Petrangelo. And then here comes Tarasenko, right? You're just going to quietly sit there unless someone asks you directly a question. But now, now when things are, are getting a little hairy this coming year, the next two, three years after, they're going to look at you and you're going to want to speak up because you know that they are counting on you now. It's not about other guys in the room. They were kind of taking that vocal charge. So it's, it's a good point. In some ways, you don't know what you have in some of these guys until you actually release some players and really find out what we do have here. So, yeah. you, you know, again, it's a, it's a really interesting point. You know, I, I didn't mention Jaden Schwartz, but I talk about a guy that is just so incredibly well-respected who's had a very, very tough go um, this postseason, of course, losing his father. But I, I just think that I, I just think there's a lot of love. I think there's a lot of love. I think there's a lot of connection on this team. And I know that a lot has been lost. And a lot of players are gone and big pieces are going to be missing. But I just I still feel very strong about the connection of this team and how special that is. So I, I do believe that from a leadership standpoint, I just think it's going to be a full group jumping all in together and pulling the rope in the same direction. Yeah, well, and that's why this season is going to be so intriguing, especially how it's not going to be a marathon. It's going to be a sprint to the finish line. And we'll talk about that in a little bit later, uh, a little bit some news in the NHL and a possible option once the season starts up on January 13th. But coming up next, Joe, I want to get into the uh, the cap room now because, of course, Steen would be expected to go on LTIR for the finality of his season. Season, which opens up some cap space. And I'm curious if you think the Blues are going to make any moves. So we'll get into that next here on This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Of course, This Week in Hockey here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Hopefully we are less than a month away from the season starting up. January 13th, the expected start date. Joe and I will talk about that in our next segment. But one more thing on Steen, Joe, and this uh, this kind of uh, ties in with the season now upcoming, and that's the cap space. Because with Alexander Steen going on LTIR, which he will not be placed on LTIR, according to Doug Armstrong, until the season starts. Because when the season starts, that benefits the Blues cap-wise. If he just goes on there now, they can't utilize that cap space. So putting him on LTIR once the season starts – would mean that that 5.7 cap room would open itself up, 3.5 when you go with the math into it. So basically, at least from what I understand, it provides the Blues with about $4 million of cap space once Tarasenko comes back to spend, if they prefer to spend this offseason. So before we talk about that, Joe, here is a cut from Doug Armstrong, who joined the fast lane earlier today. And if you want to hear that interview, you can check it out after the show tonight. Uh, I promise uh, our podcast presenters, you can get it on 101ESPN.com. But Joe, here's Doug Armstrong's comments on if the Blues will add with that LTIR cap space. Yeah, and I, I think that's a testament to our ownership group that when this became finalized, uh, the, the question wasn't, uh, okay, uh, we can save that money. It's a pandemic. It was, you know, Doug, your, your job is to... To, to try and win and are there things out there and my answer was that there, there may not be things right now or there may be things right now but um, you know we are that we don't have to put our Stanley Cup uh, opening the, the lineup on the ice right now uh, playoff lineup so we have time but uh, we're, we're a group that plays to the cap we're a group that'll try and exploit any avenue that we can and if there's a player out there uh, uh, today at three o'clock that we think helps us or if it takes two months and it's uh uh, March 15th, it helps us. We're, we're going to be on top of that. But uh, I'm excited to be part of an ownership group that doesn't uh, 
that's not looking this as as, as money cap space they don't want to spend. They they want us to spend it wisely, but they're always always trying to win. And uh, by adding players, if we decide to do that, if the right guy's there, uh, we're certainly going to go down that avenue and take a look at it. So that's interesting, Joe, because one, talking about how much you have to commend this ownership group in a pandemic that's going to be spending to the cap, if not over the cap, but also the players that are out there. And I think all of us are thinking of the same name, Mike Hoffman. But before we get into specifics on players, Joe, just your thoughts on the Blues taking this money and spending it on uh, on a player that can help them offensively. Well, I, I, first thing i got to say is I, I'm going to call Doug Armstrong's bluff. I've heard this before. He's always done, well, we're not, we don't need to do anything that quickly. We, he's always done the opposite, I feel like, right. what he said, because he's always just kind of playing that mind game. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we signed somebody tonight, honestly. Um it, it, it interests me why of all the timing now. Why the timing with Alexander's team? Why, why did they want to make the announcement now? Did it have something to do with the fact that some of these – so you can make make the association with a lot of players that and a lot of general managers that we, in fact, do have some room we are going to get cleaned up now. Steiner is going to be a long-term IR, so we're not bluffing when we're trying to get your – or you're talking to agents. We're trying to get Mike Hoffman. We're trying to get Paul Mary, whoever, right? So – to me, I think it was more strategically done than we, we like to anticipate or like to think. Uh, he, I understand he is going to wait around for a little bit, but if something is going to be there, he's one of the most aggressive general managers next to Rutherford up in Pittsburgh, I think, in the entire National Hockey League. So I think if something is going to be there, he will go out and he will go get it, Alex. I know that, like you mentioned, Mike Hoffman is out there. Uh, he made 5.1 last year. He's definitely going to get a bump. I don't know what kind of bump that's going to look like, Pre-pandemic, he probably was looking at around $7 million. But he may make close to five and a half and six if it's structured the way he wants. But the interesting thing is, is I think with Vladdy coming back, if I did the math right earlier, I, I should have double-checked this, but I think when Vladdy comes back, I think we only got a couple, two to $3 million of cap room left. So to me, that's what kind of trips up this whole Mike Hoffman thing where it may not, may not happen unless something else kind of goes on here that, that Doug has up his sleeve. And, that, and that's without including Vince Dunn, who hasn't been re-signed yet as well, Alex. So I, I know there's a lot of good forwards out there. I know some people are kind of chomping at the bit, they're licking their chops to figure out what Doug's going to do next. Right. But I, I still do think that with Vince Dunn unsigned, I'm a little I'm a little doubtful that anything will get done before the season starts unless – unless he decides to move on from Vince Dunn. We'll see. Well, look, Doug Armstrong's a magician, and we both uh, we both agree upon that, that you don't think it's possible, we don't think it's possible, but he still finds a way to make it possible, and that's Doug Armstrong. But this is what Jeremy Rutherford put out, Joe, and again, I did the math too. I think there's a lot of things that go into it, and look, math is not our best subject. We all know that. But Jeremy said, thinking about potential free agents in the aftermath of Steen's retirement, keep in mind that Terrace Ankle will be coming off LTIR, and Dunn remains unsigned. JR said penciling done in for about two and a half million dollars that would leave the blues roughly 4.2 million in cap space so i'm assuming from jr's tweet that means with tarasenko off the ltir and done making 2.5 million dollars they save about 4.2 million in cap space but again that's just an assumption right now looking at it let's let's go down this hypothetical road joe where the blues do have four million dollars to spend would it make more sense for the Blues to sign somebody now, whether it be a Hoffman, a Duclair, a, a Athanasiu, somebody that's available free agent-wise, or would it make more sense to hold on to what you have, 
wait till Tarasenko comes back, which hopefully is in February. See what a Cairo, a Samford, a Blay can offer you as a top six forward and then hit that trade deadline hard to where you'd be able to spend somewhere between four, six, seven million dollars if you move a piece off of your roster. You know, whether it's a smart thing to do, I don't know. Uh, is it what I think he's going to do? Yes. I, I think he's going to approach it that way. And I think that they're going to try to show a lot of faith in some of the players that they're expecting big steps from this year. Again, I was talking to Craig Bruby yesterday. He expects a big step out of Robert Thomas. He believes he can be a top six centerman in this league. He expects big things out of quote unquote Zach Sanford. He thinks he can take another huge step this year, right? Another, another player they're looking towards. He didn't mention Justin Falk, but to me, those, those two forwards stand out. Just, I mean, excuse me, Robert Thomas and Zach Sanford. Yeah. So if you go out and you go grab a Mike, a Mike Hoffman, you know, then you're just, you're pretty much just, you're not giving maybe the, the chance for Zach Sanford that, that he deserves or that he needs in order to prove himself. So if you want to see him take a big step, you have to give him the platform and the avenue to take, actually take a big step. And I think that that to me, that's why Doug is going to wait. Now, the problem with that is if we're only playing 56 games, it may be less depending on when we end up starting this thing. Right. You, you you can't give it too much time, Alex. Does that make sense? You can start this way, and you can give people opportunities. You can see what Clem Costin's got. He, he mentioned Jordan Cairo as well, another player that really, really kind of want to make a big step. You can you can try, but with 50-ish games this year, you cannot fall behind very quickly. I mean, because everyone says you can't win. You can't win the year in October or November, but you can sure lose the year. And what that means is when you start NHL season, you're not going to win the Stanley Cup in November, yeah. but you can certainly play yourself out of the playoff spot if you fall behind too quickly. And this, with the condensed schedule, is going to be even—it's going to be amplified this year. Every point is going to matter. But from from right now, the way I know Doug Armstrong, I think we are going to start the year exactly the way things are, and we are going to see if Zach Sanford within 10 to 12 games can make that huge step. He's—he's he's been making small steps for sure, but can he make that huge leap? up to the second line with Ryan O'Reilly and David Prawn as a proven winger on that spot. Can Jordan Cairo make that jump? Because if you can, if you can, then you don't need to go out and get anyone else. And I think that that's what Doug Armstrong is going to wait. I would almost think of it like, think of it like he's got three or four weeks before the trade deadline. That That's the kind of intensity and that's the kind of curiosity I think our general manager is going to have. He's going to be, he's going to be building up starting the year. And imagine it's a typical year, but three to four weeks until the trade deadline. I think that's the kind of energy he's going to kind of approach the season with, kind of closely keep an eye on things, knowing that deadline's around the corner. And if he needs to make any adjustments, then he will when it comes. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing too, Joe. I, I mean, if you go, if you wait for the market, teams will hold you at a king's ransom. And the Blues, we all know, don't like to spend or trade draft picks, especially if things are starting to diminish in their minor league system. Whereas if you spend some money now and you sign somebody, you're able to kind of get that in. Here's my other thought, though, Joe. How long, if you're a free agent like a Mike Hoffman, like any of these other names that are out there right now, how long would you be willing to go into a season starting before you sign a contract. And what I mean by that is, let's say the season starts on January 13th, and Mike Hoffman's going to have suitors, but maybe it's not a suitor that has a cup contention. And maybe you look at a Mike Hoffman scenario, if you're the Blues, and say, well, if he's still on the market, or if I'm a free agent, if I stay on the market, 
I might be able to sign with a team that has a legitimate shot at winning a Stanley Cup, which is only going to rise my stock for the next season when I become a free agent again. Yeah, honestly, I think he's going to do – I think I think Mike Hoffman's going to do what we saw out of Taylor Hall, what Taylor Hall did. You know, and, and Taylor Hall was probably the top forward UFA this offseason. Petrangio was a top defenseman. Taylor Hall was probably the top forward. And everyone thought, remember, Alf, everyone thought he was going to sign this monster deal yeah. somewhere, right? But the pandemic hit, of course, like we all know, and all these top-end players got a little bit of a hit. Not Alex Petrangelo was doing fine, but for the most part, every other player took a pretty big substantial hit. So what, what Taylor Hall's agent uh, decided to do, he decided to give Taylor Hall the, the, um, the knowledge, I guess, you, the, the insight to say, hey, man, this is how things are in the world. This is where we're at. The finances aren't quite squared away. A lot of owners, a lot of GMs are afraid to pull the trigger on big contracts. So what you're going to do is you are going to find a great team and you're going to find a great centerman, as we're going to see in Jack Eichel, and you're going to go to Buffalo and you're going to sign a one-year deal. And you're going to go there for one year. I know it's not I know it's not paradise, but you're playing with one of the best centermen in the league. And you're going to go in there and for one year, you're going to put up a boatload of points. 56 games, you can get 60 points. You can get even 50 points. That would be enough, right? And then that will set you up. Hopefully by then the finances are all in order for the league. All the owners and the GMs are feeling better about things. Seattle's coming into the league. We've got a lot of new money coming in, right? Then someone next summer will sign you to that monster deal. Now, Mike Hoffman, to your to your point right there, Alex, about what he is going to do. Uh, first thing I, I know is players hate hate sitting around, waiting, waiting, waiting for the year. Right. Uh, Mike Hoffman will be fine. But a player like Vince Dunn, I mean – that, that would make me nervous. I think I think Riz talked about it on his show. He was in those situations before yeah. as far as waiting around. And, and you hate to think that a Prunovich would come in here and, and seal his spot while he's sitting around waiting still for, for a good deal. Again, we don't know the ins and outs of what's going on and the dialogue behind all that. But you never want to see a waiting around. I think Mike Hoffman will be fine. But I do think I, I, I can really see – I can really see Mike Hoffman taking a one-year deal somewhere like a St. Louis Blues, a cup contending team where we where they, they say, for example, Mike Hoffman, we can't afford you to what you want for the seven, eight years you're asking. But what we can do is this. We can bring you in for a year, much like what Taylor Hall did. We're going to bring you in for a year, and you're going to play alongside the Conn Smythe winner and Ryan O'Reilly and David Prawn. Maybe the best forward pair, at least most consistent in the National Hockey League. Now, that may, that may sound great, but the only thing is we can't do it for seven years. We can do it for one, or maybe mm-hmm. we can do it for two. But if you're Mike Hoffman, you're like, well, hell, maybe maybe Taylor Hall's on to something because right now the finances aren't there and no one's wanting to spend money. But you can come in here, you play with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Are you kidding me? You play one year, 56 games, I guarantee you're going to have 50-plus points. And not to mention, you're going to make a great run at the Cup. You're going to get a lot of exposure. A lot of people are going to be watching you come May, uh, May and June. You know, why not? Who knows? I mean, I really think uh, the, the past rule book on all this, Alex, just throw it out the window as far as what these players should be making in the cap space. And I think this year is a complete kerfuffle of everything. <laughs> and I think that I think it's very realistic that Mike Hoffman could could pull the trigger on something like that. Phenomenal use of the word kerfuffle, Joe. Like save yes. that for the broadcast, buddy, because that's how yes. you win. That's how you win uh, trophies right there. We're we're in the business of winning Emmys, Alex. Damn straight. We're going to keep winning those Emmys. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. When we come back, there is a possibility that the bubble could return 
or teams couldn't play in Canada. Joe and I will get into that next here on 101 ESPN. Final time here tonight on This Week in Hockey. As always, if you miss any of our show or shows, you can check it out on the podcast, 101ESPN.com. A little bit of a uh, humble brag here. We were able to talk to Thomas Steen. Now, this was a couple of months ago, I believe, Joe. It was after the Blues had won the Cup. It was kind of in the middle of that pandemic pause. Uh, Or maybe, if I'm not mistaken, it was when he played the 1,000th game in the NHL. But you and I had talked to Thomas Steen just about Alexander's career. And, of course, Alexander announcing his retirement earlier today. So if people want to go back and listen to that, you can. Podcast101ESPN.com. So, Joe, before we get out of here, there is a couple of news that I want to get into, and we're going to hit a couple of what's up with that's as well. But first things first, the reports are out there that the possibility of a bubble returning, at least temporarily, for the NHL season if it starts on January 13th is out there. Uh, I'm a little surprised by that because I didn't think the players would be willing to accept that. But it makes some sense if it's only for a month or temporary or whatever they say, and if it's with the if it's with the assumption of being a lot safer, I think players would at least be on board with it. Alex, I think that's what's going to happen. You know, I, I, really? I do. And and from hearing from hearing the logistics and the timeline of everything and where this virus is kind of getting out of control in some spots, the dilemma is this: they want to start early January. And they want to get 56 games in, right? They mm-hmm. want to have this, obviously, this 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 potential January 13th start. And by the schedule, you can get 56 games in, have a cup champion, and all is gravy, okay? So that's scenario number one, right? Um, they're a little nervous about that, obviously, because the virus is still kind of taking its course and it's kind of peaking in some spots. So the idea of doing it January 13th and opening up in these buildings and having these home arenas all over and just kind of scattered and everyone's just doing a normal hockey season – that's not really a possibility because of where this virus is at. So there's option two. Do you start January 13th, try to get all your games in, but do it in a bubble, right? So really the dilemma comes down to this. I think you can start in January, but it's got to be in a safe bubble, or we have to wait for this thing to kind of settle down a little bit. Then we can start in the building, but then you're pushing back to February. You're not getting in quite as many games if a season at all. So, um, this idea, this perfect scenario, perfect scenario, nothing the perfect scenario, but uh, this the, the, their idea of a good scenario would be to start January 13th in buildings. Well, because of where this virus is at, I don't think that's going to happen. So they can start January 13th, but it's got to be in a safe environment. And I think that it will be probably a bubble, but it will have to be a temporary bubble. These players, these coaches, the staff, they will not go for the fact that we are going to play a bubble all year long. I, right. I think it will, we, we will see a drama like – like we will make the major league baseball drama seem like nothing. I mean, and hopefully, hopefully the NHL has learned something from what the major league baseball did last this past summer, Yeah. where we should not get into a, a lot of bickering and back and forth. Hopefully we can just kind of make this thing jive and make it, make it groovy and go. But at the same time, players do need to understand that the, the virus and this is where things are at. And I think a temporary, let's call it a four week bubble, a four week bubble is, is a possibility if they do want to start January 13th, and get in as many games as they're hoping. And I think the players are going to have to have it in pen where this is temporary and starting on February 14th or whatever it's going to be, then we're coming home. And then, then I think the players, you'll get a buy-in for the players. If they know there's an end date, an end site, I really do think they will get through it. But if you give them this, hey, we're doing this bubble until further notice, oof, boy, I don't think so. 
Yeah, that's going to be the most intriguing thing with all of this. And real quick, you know, the reports are out there at least tonight that there could be a possibility that if the health officials don't agree to it, that the Canadian teams could come to the U.S. and play in one of these bubbles, which is going to be really interesting because that's basically keeping families away from their family in Canada for the entirety of the season because Canada's not going to allow players just to come back in between their seasons. So it's a lot of things to keep uh, keep an eye on as we move forward. And again, the NHL sticking to the January 13th start date, but you would imagine you're going to have to see some type of Board of Governors vote within the next couple of days if you want to get this on track with January 13th. Joe, before we get out of here, buddy, you ready for a couple of what's up with that's? Let's do it. Always my favorite time. Great stuff with this one, man. Let's start with uh, with the – boy, I don't even know how to say – I guess I would call it the invincible Yaramir Yager, right? You would define it as invincible Yaramir Yager. I, I would call him that. That makes sense. I mean, he's look, back. the guy's 48 years old, and he's still freaking playing hockey, which is in, insane to stay. But he's back, Joe. He's coming back for his uh, – his next season, he's playing the 2020-2021 season. No, it's not in the NHL, although I would love to see it. But he's coming back in the Czech Republic to play. One, are you surprised by this, Joe? And two, tell me you wouldn't love to see Yager back in the NHL because this guy's still producing point-per-game style at the age of 48 years old. Well, he's producing, Alex, because of one thing. He's absolutely huge. And I mean physically big and i think that was something when i played against him for the first time i didn't realize how big he was this guy is i mean he is super solid super big he's super strong on pucks you can't strip anything away from him and that's what's allowed him to play i mean his speed's gone does he have good vision yeah does he have good hands yeah but he's slower i mean right he's slower but the fact is he's just so big when he gets in the ozone you give him a puck in the corner i mean he's like pat maroon on steroids yeah he's like pat maroon on steroids that's how i would sum him up but uh, it was an honor playing against him. Uh, he was a, a huge beast when we played against him when he was in Philadelphia. He did some amazing things. He kind of kicked the tar out, out of our heels when we were playing him in the playoffs there that one year. But uh, all, all the kudos to him. I think it's amazing seeing him at his age. I mean, he could be like a grandpa right now. And he's still <laughs> playing hockey. That's pretty incredible. He probably is a grandpa. I mean, he could have a kid basically playing in the NHL, and nobody would second guess it because that's how old he is, but that's how incredible he is. Uh, one more, Joe. And it's Henrik Lundqvist. It's not as exciting, but what is up with uh, with the injury bug? Of course, the injury is keeping Alexander Steen from playing the NHL again. And now Henrik Lundqvist, he announced earlier today that he's not going to be able to play with the Washington Capitals this season, who he signed with uh, because of some type of heart condition. And we personally just saw this in St. Louis uh, with Jay Bomeister last season. It sucks, um, but it's a good thing because nobody wants to see a guy like Henrik Lundqvist cr- uh, crash on the ice uh, because of some type of heart condition. Yeah, old Hank, the uh, you know the king. Uh, he's been uh, one of the faces of the league for a very long time. I was excited to see him in a new Capitals uniform. Uh, very unfortunate for him, but listen, he's got a great family. He's a great person, and I wish him nothing but the absolute very best. And I know the Capitals uh, do as well. Although uh, I'm sure it will sink in in a day or so that oh boy, we 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 had a goalie problem. And now we really have a goalie problem because yeah. our goalie solution is now gone. So, uh, But, again, th- this is more than about hockey. We want to make sure that he's taken care of and he's going to be safe and well. Uh, but you do have to wonder uh, if the Capitals obviously would have done things a lot, lot differently um, come the free agency before they had all this kind of crazy news. But, yeah, I'm hoping for the absolute best for him. I hope it's nothing too serious. And I hope that we see him 
for many, many years, whether broadcasting or coaching. Yeah. He's going to be around this game for a very long time. Couldn't agree more with you. Joey V, great show as always, buddy. Thanks for uh, taking the time out and hopping on tonight with us. Uh, again, if you haven't heard, Alexander Steen announcing his retirement today by the St. Louis Blues. Uh, so a big congratulations to uh, Alex's wife and uh, their new uh, their new welcome to the world, another baby uh, for the Steen family. So congratulations to them, Joe. Enjoy the weekend, buddy. Uh, we are going to be talking Wednesday, I believe, before Christmas. So we'll have one more show in 2020 before we wrap things up. But uh, have a great weekend, buddy, and we'll talk next week. Thanks so much, Alex. Can't wait for next week, man. Have a great weekend. There you go. Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk to you next Wednesday for more This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN.